Chapter One of Xerxes by Jacob Abbott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Mother of Xerxes, B.C. 522 to 484. The name of Xerxes is associated in the minds of men with the idea of the highest attainable elevation of human magnificence and grandeur. This monarch was the sovereign of the ancient Persian Empire when it was at the height of its prosperity and power. It is probable, however, that his greatness and fame lose nothing by the manner in which his story comes down to us through the greek historians the greeks conquered xerxes and in relating his history they magnify the wealth the power and the resources of his empire by way of exalting the greatness and renown of their own exploits in subduing him the mother of xerxes was atossa a daughter of cyrus the great who was the founder of the persian empire cyrus was killed in scythia a wild and barbarous region lying north of the black and caspian seas his son cambyses succeeded him a kingdom or an empire was regarded in ancient days much in the light of an estate which the sovereign held as a species of property and which he was to manage mainly with a view to the promotion of his own personal aggrandizement and pleasure a king or an emperor could have more palaces more money and more wives than other men and if he was of an overbearing or ambitious spirit he could march into his neighbor's territories and after gratifying his love of adventure with various romantic exploits and gaining great renown by his ferocious impetuosity in battle he could end his expedition perhaps by adding his neighbors palaces and treasures and wives to his own divine providence however the mysterious power that overrules all the passions and impulses of men and brings extended and general good out of local and particular evil has made the ambition and the selfishness of princes the great means of preserving order and government among men these great ancient despots for example would not have been able to collect their revenues or enlist their armies or procure supplies for their campaigns unless their dominions were under a regular and complete system of social organization such as should allow all the industrial pursuits of commerce and of agriculture throughout the mass of the community to go regularly on thus absolute monarchs however ambitious and selfish and domineering in their characters have a strong personal interest in the establishment of order and of justice between man and man throughout all the regions which are under their sway in fact the greater their ambition 
their selfishness and their pride the stronger will this interest be for just in proportion as order industry and internal tranquillity prevail in a country just in that proportion can revenues be collected from it and armies raised and maintained it is a mistake therefore to suppose of the great heroes and sovereigns and conquerors that have appeared from time to time among mankind that the usual and ordinary result of their influence and action has been that of disturbance and disorganization it is true that a vast amount of disturbance and disorganization has often followed from the march of their armies their sieges their invasions and the other local and temporary acts of violence which they commit but these are the exceptions not the rule it must be that such things are exceptions since in any extended and general view of the subject a much greater amount of social organization industry and peace is necessary to raise and maintain an army than that army can itself destroy the deeds of destruction which great conquerors perform attract more attention and make a greater impression upon mankind than the quiet patient and long-continued labors by which they perfect and extend the general organization of the social state but these labors though less noticed by men have really employed the energies of great sovereigns in a far greater degree than mankind have generally imagined thus we should describe the work of caesar's life in a single word more truly by saying that he organized europe than that he conquered it his bridges his roads his systems of jurisprudence his coinage his calendar and other similar means and instruments of social arrangement and facilities for promoting the pursuits of industry and peace mark far more properly the real work which that great conqueror performed among mankind than his battles and his victories darius was in the same way the organizer of asia william the conqueror completed or rather advanced very far toward completing the social organization of england and even in respect to napoleon the true and proper memorial of his career is the successful working of the institutions the systems and the codes which he perfected and introduced into the social state and not the brazen column formed from captured cannon which stands in the place vendome these considerations obviously true though not always borne in mind are however to be considered as making the characters of the great sovereigns in a moral point of view neither the worse nor the better in all that they did whether in arranging and systematizing the functions of social life or in ruthless deeds of conquest and destruction they were actuated in a great measure by selfish ambition they arranged and organized the social state in order to form a more compact and solid pedestal 
for the foundation of their power they maintain peace and order among their people just as a master would suppress quarrels among his slaves because peace among laborers is essential to productive results they fixed and defined legal rights and established courts to determine and enforce them they protected property they counted and classified men they opened roads they built bridges they encouraged commerce they hung robbers and exterminated pirates all that the collection of their revenues and the enlistment of their armies might go on without hindrance or restriction many of them indeed may have been animated in some degree by a higher and nobler sentiment than this some may have felt a sort of pride in the contemplation of a great and prosperous and wealthy empire analogous to that which a proprietor feels in surveying a well-conditioned successful and productive estate others like alfred may have felt a sincere and honest interest in the welfare of their fellow-men and the promotion of human happiness may have been in a greater or less degree the direct object of their aim still it cannot be denied that a selfish and reckless ambition has been in general the mainspring of action with heroes and conquerors which while it aimed only at personal aggrandizement has been made to operate through the peculiar mechanism of the social state which the divine wisdom has contrived as a means in the main of preserving and extending peace and order among mankind and not of destroying them but to return to atassa her father cyrus who laid the foundation of the great persian empire was for a hero and conqueror tolerably considerate and just and he desired probably to promote the welfare and happiness of his millions of subjects but his son cambyses atossa's brother having been brought up in expectation of succeeding to vast wealth and power and having been as the sons of the wealthy and the powerful often are in all ages of the world wholly neglected by his father during the early part of his life and entirely unaccustomed to control became a wild reckless proud selfish and ungovernable young man his father was killed suddenly in battle as has already been stated and cambyses succeeded him cambyses's career was short desperate and most tragical in its end in fact he was one of the most savage reckless and abominable monsters that have ever lived it was the custom in those days for the persian monarchs to have many wives and what is still more remarkable whenever any monarch died his successor inherited his predecessor's family as well as his throne cyrus had several children by his various wives cambyses and smyrdas were the only sons but there were daughters among whom atossa was the most distinguished 
the ladies of the court were accustomed to reside in different palaces or in different suites of apartments in the same palace so that they lived in a great measure isolated from each other when cambyses came to the throne and thus entered into possession of his father's palaces he saw and fell in love with one of his father's daughters he wished to make her one of his wives he was accustomed to the unrestricted indulgence of every appetite and passion but he seems to have had some slight misgivings in regard to such a step as this he consulted the persian judges they conferred upon the subject and then replied that they had searched among the laws of the realm and though they found no law allowing a man to marry his sister they found many which authorized a persian king to do whatever he pleased cambyses therefore added the princess to the number of his wives and not long afterward he married another of his father's daughters in the same way one of these princesses was atossa cambyses invaded egypt and in the course of his mad career in that country he killed his brother smyrtus and one of his sisters and at length was killed himself atossa escaped the dangers of this stormy and terrible reign and returned safely to susa after cambyses's death smyrtus the brother of cambyses would have been cambyses's successor if he had survived him but he had been privately assassinated by cambyses's orders though his death had been kept profoundly secret by those who had perpetrated the deed there was another smyrtus in susa the persian capital who was a magian that is a sort of priest in whose hands as regent cambyses had left the government while he was absent on his campaigns this magian smyrtus accordingly conceived the plan of usurping the throne as if he were smyrtus the prince resorting to a great many ingenious and cunning schemes to conceal his deception among his other plans one was to keep himself wholly sequestered from public view with a few favorites such especially as had not personally known smyrtus the prince in the same manner he secluded from each other and from himself all who had known smyrtus in order to prevent their conferring with one another or communicating to each other any suspicions which they might chance to entertain such seclusion so far as related to the ladies of the royal family was not unusual after the death of a king and smyrtus did not deviate from the ordinary custom except to make the isolation and confinement of the princesses and queens more rigorous and strict than common by means of this policy he was enabled to go on for some months without detection living all the while in the greatest luxury and splendor but at the same time in absolute seclusion and in unceasing anxiety and fear one chief source of his solicitude was lest he should be detected by means of his ears some years before when he was in a comparatively obscure position 
he had in some way or other offended his sovereign and was punished by having his ears cut off it was necessary therefore to keep the marks of this mutilation carefully concealed by means of his hair and his headdress and even with these precautions he could never feel perfectly secure at last one of the nobles of the court a sagacious and observing man suspected the imposture he had no access to smyrtus himself but his daughter whose name was phaedema was one of smyrtus's wives the nobleman was excluded from all direct intercourse with smyrtus and even with his daughter but he contrived to send word to his daughter inquiring whether her husband was the true smyrtus or not she replied that she did not know inasmuch as she had never seen any other smyrtus if indeed there had been another the nobleman then attempted to communicate with atossa but he found it impossible to do so atossa had of course known her brother well and was on that very account very closely secluded by the magian as a last resort the nobleman sent to his daughter a request that she should watch for an opportunity to feel for her husband's ears while he was asleep he admitted that this would be a dangerous attempt but his daughter he said ought to be willing to make it since if her pretended husband were really an impostor she ought to take even a stronger interest than others in his detection fadima was at first afraid to undertake so dangerous a commission but she at length ventured to do so and by passing her hand under his turban one night while he was sleeping on his couch she found that the ears were gone the consequence of this discovery was that a conspiracy was formed to dethrone and destroy the usurper the plot was successful smyrtus was killed his imprisoned queens were set free and darius was raised to the throne in his stead atossa now by that strange principle of succession which has been already alluded to became the wife of darius and she figures frequently and conspicuously in history during his long and splendid reign her name is brought into notice in one case in a remarkable manner in connection with an expedition which darius sent on an exploring tour into greece and italy she herself the means in fact of sending the expedition she was sick and after suffering secretly and in silence as long as possible the nature of her complaint being such as to make her unwilling to speak of it to others she at length determined to consult a greek physician who had been brought to persia as a captive and had acquired great celebrity at susa by his medical science and skill the physician said that he would undertake her case on condition that she would promise to grant him a certain request that he would make she wished to know what it was beforehand but the physician would not tell her he said however that it was nothing that it would be in any way derogatory 
to her honor to grant him on these conditions atossa concluded to agree to the physician's proposals he made her take a solemn oath that if he cured her of her malady she would do whatever he required of her provided that it was consistent with honor and propriety he then took her case under his charge prescribed for her and attended her and in due time she was cured the physician then told her that what he wished her to do for him was to find some means to persuade darius to send him home to his native land atossa was faithful in fulfilling her promise she took a private opportunity when she was alone with darius to propose that he should engage in some plans of foreign conquest she reminded him of the vastness of the military power which was at his disposal and of the facility with which by means of it he might extend his dominions she extolled too his genius and energy and endeavored to inspire in his mind some ambitious desires to distinguish himself in the estimation of mankind by bringing his capacities for the performance of great deeds into action darius listened to these suggestions of atossa with interest and with evident pleasure he said that he had been forming some such plans himself he was going to build a bridge across the health point or the bosphorus to unite europe and asia and he was also going to make an incursion into the country of the scythians the people by whom cyrus his great predecessor had been defeated and slain it would be a great glory for him he said to succeed in a conquest in which cyrus had so totally failed but these plans would not answer the purpose which atossa had in view she urged her husband therefore to postpone his invasion of the scythians till some future time and first conquer the greeks and annex their territory to his dominions the scythians she said were savages and their country not worth the cost of conquering it while greece would constitute a noble prize she urged the invasion of greece too rather than scythia as a personal favor to herself for she had been wanting she said some slaves from greece for a long time some of the women of sparta of corinth and of athens of whose graces and accomplishments she had heard so much there was something gratifying to the military vanity of darius in being thus requested to make an incursion to another continent and undertake the conquest of the mightiest nation of the earth for the purpose of procuring accomplished waiting-maids to offer as a present to his queen he became restless and excited while listening to atossa's proposals and to the arguments with which she enforced them and it was obvious that he was very strongly inclined to accede to her views he finally concluded to send a commission into greece to explore the country and to bring back a report on their return and as he decided to make the greek physician the guide of the expedition atossa gained her end a full account of this expedition 
and of the various adventures which the party met with on their voyage is given in our history of darius it may be proper to say here however that the physician fully succeeded in his plans of making his escape he pretended at first to be unwilling to go and he made only the most temporary arrangements in respect to the conduct of his affairs while he should be gone in order to deceive the king in regard to his intentions of not returning the king on his part resorted to some stratagems to ascertain whether the physician was sincere in his professions but he did not succeed in detecting the artifice and so the party went away the physician never returned atossa had four sons xerxes was the eldest of them he was not however the eldest of the sons of darius as there were other sons the children of another wife whom darius had married before he ascended the throne the oldest of these children was named artobazanes artobazanes seems to have been a prince of an amiable and virtuous character and not particularly ambitious and aspiring in his disposition although as he was the eldest son of his father he claimed to be his heir atossa did not admit the validity of this claim but maintained that the eldest of her children was entitled to the inheritance it became necessary to decide this question before darius's death for darius in the prosecution of a war in which he was engaged formed the design of accompanying his army on an expedition into greece and before doing this he was bound according to the laws and usages of the persian realm to regulate the succession there immediately arose an earnest dispute between the friends and partisans of artobazanes and xerxes each side urging very eagerly the claims of its own candidate the mother and the friends of artobazanes maintained that he was the oldest son and consequently the heir atossa on the other hand contended that xerxes was the grandson of cyrus and that he derived from that circumstance the highest possible hereditary rights to the persian throne this was in some respects true for cyrus had been the founder of the empire and the legitimate monarch while darius had no hereditary claims he was originally a noble of high rank indeed but not of the royal line and he had been designated as cyrus's successor in a time of revolution because there was at that time no prince of the royal family who could take the inheritance those therefore who were disposed to insist on the claims of a legitimate hereditary succession might very plausibly claim that darius's government had been a regency rather than a reign that xerxes being the oldest son of atossa cyrus's daughter was the true representative of the royal line and that although it might not be expedient to disturb the possession of darius during his lifetime yet that at his death xerxes was unquestionably entitled to the throne 
there was obviously a great deal of truth and justice in this reasoning and yet it was a view of the subject not likely to be very agreeable to darius since it seemed to deny the existence of any real and valid title to the sovereignty in him it assigned the crown at his death not to his son as such but to his predecessor's grandson for though xerxes was both the son of darius and the grandson of cyrus it was in the latter capacity that he was regarded as entitled to the throne in the argument referred to above the doctrine was very gratifying to the pride of atossa for it made xerxes the successor to the crown as her son and heir and not as the son and heir of her husband for this very reason it was likely to be not very gratifying to darius he hesitated very much in respect to adopting it atossa's ascendancy over his mind and her influence generally in the persian court was almost overwhelming and yet darius was very unwilling to seem by giving to the oldest grandson of cyrus the precedence over his own eldest son to admit that he himself had no legitimate and proper title to the throne while things were in this state a greek named demaratus arrived at susa he was a dethroned prince from sparta and had fled from the political storms of his own country to seek refuge in darius's capital demaratus found a way to reconcile darius's pride as a sovereign with his personal preferences as a husband and a father he told the king that according to the principles of hereditary succession which were adopted in greece xerxes was his heir as well as cyrus's for he was the oldest son who was born after his accession a son he said according to the greek ideas on the subject was entitled to inherit only such rank as his father held when the son was born and that consequently none of his children who had been born before his accession could have any claims to the persian throne artobazanes in a word was to be regarded he said only as the son of darius the noble while xerxes was the son of darius the king in the end darius adopted this view and designated xerxes as his successor in case he should not return from his distant expedition he did not return he did not even live to set out upon it perhaps the question of the succession had not been absolutely and finally settled for it arose again and was discussed anew when the death of darius occurred the manner in which it was finally disposed of will be described in the next chapter end of chapter one